I don't know about you, but I utterly and completely love Easter. Fantastic. Not only for the chocolate that is waiting for me when I get home. Um, white chocolate, if you're asking. Thanks very much. Um, English, white. Not Canadian. Um, only because of the wax. Uh, it's wonderful, isn't it? The joy and the, and the excitement and the, the praise. And I'm sure you're, you're preparing for a great family time as we are. And uh, the turkey's in now. So let's pray that my house doesn't burn down. And, and it's all glorious and wonderful because as Christians, our, our hope is immense. As Christians, and maybe you're new to this, or maybe you're coming back to this, or maybe you've just come because it's Easter and you love to come to church on Easter, Easter Sunday, and quite right, and we welcome you, and we're just glad that you're here. And if you belong to Willow Park Church but only come once or twice a year, that's all right. I love having you. It's fantastic. But when we think about the resurrection, you know, a lot of people sat talking, well, that's a load of rubbish, or the resurrection, that, of course, is utterly and completely nonsense. You know, those conversations that take place in pubs. You know, I know they, in England they used to take place in pubs, uh, the Canadian kind of... um, Equivalent, I guess, talking about, which is, I guess, Tim Hortons, and, and sat there to all oh, that, that Christianity rubbish, you know, Jesus rising from the dead, surely not. Don't believe that. That's nonsense. That's complete, complete rubbish. You know, we can sound so intelligent by dismissing the reality of Christ risen from the grave. I want to tell you something. I don't just believe in Christ risen blindly from the grave, although existentially in my own life, and I have experienced the reality, and I want to tell you this, where Christ became so real to me that he came into my life, turned my world upside down, wrecked me, rebuilt me, and gave me a hope. And I believe in the resurrection because I believe in the change and the transforming power of his resurrected power in my life. It's real. But you may feel, oh, that's what you mean, Pastor Phil. You know, you're a nice guy. Occasionally you do give a little bit of a funny joke. (laughs) Um, I know. And my wife will often say, one too many. Um, But you know, it's like, okay, What do you mean? Well, you know, basically, well, existentially, yes, your experience, my experience, we experience the greatness of God. But let me remind you something incredible, that there is a historical rigor to the existence that Christ rose from the grave. That it's historically there. It sits there. In the whole of history as a supernova event that came into lives to change lives and to make an incredible difference. You see, when you, when you look at this, and historians always mumble and think about this, and you listen to the lectures, they can't get over the fact that in the ancient world, something morphed, something changed, something amazing happened in such a short time that affects the whole of the world to today from a backwater in Galilee. You see, these kind of things did not happen in the ancient world. It was conservative. 
Religious thought, religious idea, uh, religious change in the ancient world was slow. It took years of pondering and thinking. Of course, the upheaval of empires and great battles, as we know from the the spray of modern films about uh, Spartacus and Rome and all of this. We know the, the, the turmoil, but philosophically and religiously, something happened that was a supernova on that morning that changed the course of the whole world. We've got to say, then what? What changed? You see, it boils down to this. Something happened that weekend. That body was placed in a grave. That body disappeared from that grave. The post-mortem appearance of that person that was placed in that grave, he started to appear to people and speak to them. Is this true or is this a myth? And then his appearance so shook and changed their lives that suddenly they went out and did the most remarkable things. You know, ancient historians in the discipline and many of our great universities, whether Yale or Oxford or Harvard or have strong theological and ancient history departments, they put ancient stories through a test of six particular tests, I can't go into them this morning, that that verify whether the likelihood of them is that this story is absolutely true or has the core of complete truth to it. Let me tell you something. The resurrection of Jesus as a story in the ancient world 2,000 years ago passes all of those six tests. You can't just say, like you sat in Tim Hortons, that Christianity business is rubbish. Now let's roll up the rim and see if we've won a Toyota. Let's see. You can't just do that. You see, you go through the process. No respecting historian. Honestly, whether an utter atheist would say that Jesus did not live. We know Jesus utterly and completely lived. You would be committing intellectual suicide to deny the living nature of Christ. Secondly, the fact that Christ died and was crucified is a historical fact. There is no debate in the great universities when the great debaters come together to talk about theology and philosophy. There is no debate about the fact that he lived and that he died. The great debate is, did he rise again? So, as we think about this, we've got to consider, I want to consider six thoughts. And these six thoughts are about the uniqueness of Christianity. I want to take you back and read for a moment a piece of scripture, the very fragment of which can be traced to within three years of the resurrection of Jesus. The very fragment and the earliest book here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as you trace the the text and the liturgy and the words right the way back, we can peer deep in to a moment of liturgy within three years. It says in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of the first importance. And what this is the little fragment. That we know that Christ died for our sins according to scripture. That he was buried. 
And that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. You see that? That Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised. The Christians were saying this, speaking this, praying this at this moment. This is what was on their lips months and just simply years after this event. And he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500. And of the brothers and the sisters the same time, most of whom are still living while I write this, he says. Though some have fallen asleep, he appeared to James, to the apostles. And then he appeared also to me, abnormally born. Appeared to all these people. Okay, there's a number of things I want to say to you. First of all, we have number one historical quandary is this. Number one is this Messiah was so remarkable. Why was he so remarkable? When every other bandit, Messiah figure, leader of the time. And the one thing we do know is that around this whole period that bands and preachers and fighters would rise up. They would call themselves a Messiah. It's absolutely true. And, and they would attempt to do it. And what would happen? The Roman or before that, the Syrian governments would come and they would squash them completely. They would gather and then they would be squashed and then they would be scattered. We know this because we've got films that I actually dislike this film by Monty Python, but The Life of Brian, when he is mistaken for a messiah because there were loads of messiahs running around. And so a moment somebody came preaching in the wilderness, bang, they would deal with them. The moment they started to fight, the moment they do this, it's true. Academically, absolutely. The issue is this, that they gathered, he traveled, then they were squashed. And then they gathered again, and then they completely shook this world. So the theologians and the historians are saying, come on, what happened there that made this group so different from every other Maesasonic group that was flying around? I'll tell you the only answer I can come up is when I look at this, is that actually what happened on that morning was true and real. And for me, the only explanation is the reason this group may have been squashed and scattered, then they gathered, is because they actually met the risen Christ Jesus. And that he was there. You see, it says here that they appeared. So straight after this, he appeared and he actually gives a list of people that he appeared to. That after that, he appeared to more than 500. So first of all, he came to Peter, who had denied him three times. And we can all relate to Peter in our failure and in our denial. I'm sure you can. And our battles and our struggles. And then he appeared to the twelve. He appeared to Thomas. He appeared then to, of course, to, um, to the 500. And this is one thing that amazes me. He actually says, and then he appeared to James. Who was James? I'll tell you who James was. You may not know this if you're new to church. James is the younger brother of Jesus Christ. Now, if there's ever a miracle... 
That James, the younger brother of Jesus Christ, believed in the resurrection. It is James because James became the bishop of Jerusalem and preached to the glory of God that Christ had risen. This is the younger brother declaring that my older brother has really changed. He is amazing. He is the Messiah. Have you got a younger brother? Mm. I've got a younger brother. I don't hang out with his friends. He doesn't, he doesn't hang out with mine, right? You know that younger brother, older brother thing? It takes a miracle of Jesus rising from the dead to break that down sometimes. So you think for a moment. These believed. Secondly, there was such a shift. So if this, what was so unique about this Messiah, first of all, was and that he was squashed and then they scattered, but something incredible happened. And historians, the only answer they can come up with is that actually something more than remarkable in all of time and history took place at that moment. Theology. The jump in theology, if you're going to fabricate something, now you may not understand this, but the Jewish system had a very strong, clear theology about death and resurrection. And suddenly they present a Messiah who was raised from the dead. They all knew people will rise from the dead one day. It's there in scripture, in the book of Daniel. They all knew this. But to talk about a Messiah, no way. A Messiah was going to come on a riding horse. He was going to kick out the Romans. He was going to do all of this. But the idea, if you're going to create the biggest fraud in history, you don't start from the fact that your leader was hung on a cross and he died personally and he rose personally because that idea is like saying, will you draw me a square circle? Just think about that. In their mind, it is impossible. They were trying to put the two together and to them to come forward. And in the Gospels, you have this. You have all the disciples utterly stunned going, what is going on? This isn't according to the script we've ever been taught. Something big has happened and we've got to tell people, but they're not going to believe it because this isn't to the script that we've been taught. So if you're going to fake it, you don't start from a position where nobody utterly believes and something that seems theologically crazy. The third thing that we agonize over as historians is Christians. Have you ever met a Christian? Maybe have a look around. Christians, the thing that amazed the ancient world when these Christians appeared on the scene was very simply this. These Christians became utterly and completely reckless. What what do I mean by that? Well, these Christians all of a sudden followed this risen Messiah, followed this risen Christ, became utterly reckless. And where did you find the Christians all of a sudden? Amongst the poor, amongst the bleeding, amongst the dying, amongst the, the very, very hurting of society. In a society that took sick 
people and move them out. In a society that even if you touch a leper, you had to go through a purifying process. These Christians became utterly reckless with their activity and they didn't care about death. They didn't care about sickness. If a great plague came into the land, they would not run away like the Roman uh, citizens did to their villas in the mountains. The Christians would stay in the cities, caring for the poor, caring for the needy, being with the sick, because they had utterly no fear of dying. And why was that? Well, my only explanation is this, that Christ has risen. And those early Christians were so consumed that even they would face the death of persecution, be willing in love to go and die for the Lord Jesus Christ. It'd be like all of us going, do you know what's going on in East Africa at the moment? Ebola. Come on, church. Hallelujah. This is a time for us to shine. Amen. I've chartered a Boeing 747 down at Kelowna Airport. Who's in? We all pop down. I, I know Kelowna Airport can't land a Boeing 747, but let's say we land it on the fields and we get a bit longer run. And we all load on, we all jump on, we go off to East Africa, we set up hospitals, we care for people, we minister to them, we love them, we, we just care for the dying. And people go, well, why do you live your life like this? And the answer is, because death has no fear and God has called us to live, love a broken smashed world with his love. The recklessness of these Christians. Strangely enough, that tens of thousands of Christian nurses and doctors have made them the way. The first people on the ground in East Africa were volunteer Christian nurses. As one atheist wrote, When Hurricane Katrina came in to New Orleans, he wrote, I can't stand these Christians. They drive me mad. I don't believe a thing about them. But when I look at the news, it is the Christians that are lining up with wagon and wagon and truck after truck with aid that once the hurricane comes through and destroys the city, it's the Christians that are going into the city. And he said, to be honest, it's us atheists that are going the other way. Christians have always had this. Recklessness about their lives, recklessness about the way they serve, recklessness. And theologians in a, in a world like this have looked at this, why were they so reckless? The only explanation is this, that Christ has risen. The simplicity. Fourth is the incredible biography and the simplicity of the text. So I don't know if you've read, say, the book of Mark. You can read it in about 40 minutes. Try it. Even if you're not a Christian, you are allowed to read the Bible. I would encourage it. Just read the story again. Basically, he appears and he's baptized. He goes around caring and healing people and preaching good news. He is then killed and he's dead. And finally it ends, he's alive. It's so simple. You say, well, why not? Well, let me tell you something. If you're going to write something to pull off the greatest fraud in history, 
you are going to put the kind of writing in it of the time. And this is just a simple biography of the most profound man that has ever lived. You would have... You'd weld in great angels. You'd weld in great moments of of triumph and personality and extreme. You would put all of this in great declarations. There's not even great moments of great titles. It's so simple and so beautiful and so perfect and so raw that the simplicity of the message bemuses historians because it's not in the same vein of the ancient world and yet it tells a very simple story that Christ has risen and believe me my friends I don't know what you're going through in your life I don't know what you're struggling with I don't know how you are how you are facing things but if you connect yourself with the simplicity and the life of the story of Christ. It'll change your life. Two final points. If you're going to write a story and you trust what it says, a lot of people go, well, what about all these other gospels? The gospel of Peter, the hidden gospels in the Vatican. The gospel of Judas. Mm, He had a lot to say. What about the gospel of Philip? I'm not knocking that so much. But I truly am. These Gnostic Gospels that float around, the front of National Geographic, the truth be told, the Gospels that have been hidden, the Gospel of Peter. Let me tell you something. These are the Gospels. Have you read them? All the historians in the, know that they lack substance. They are fictitious. They, have, they are more like... They are more like a Disney World movie, Disney movie, when you read them. Even in the Gospel of Peter, I'm not encouraging you to read it particularly, but in the Gospel of Peter, the women come to the, uh, to the tomb, and what follows them? A walking cross. And this walking cross speaks and talks. Let it go. Singing. Oh, it's, it's lovely, it's Gnostic, it's nonsense, it's, it's the kind of extreme nonsense that was out there. And of course, you can put it on the front of a magazine and make us go, oh, we have to doubt this. You do not have to doubt the rigor of the historical truth of the risen Christ. What we hold in our hands and what we have has been discerned and written, has been written by the great fathers in the faith. And you may realize this, but you know the only explanation I have is that on the third day he rose again. I'm asking you. Maybe you've been doubting. Maybe you've been slipping. Maybe you've lost that passion. Reconnect with the story again. Even um, Paul here uses the phrase, and Jesus appeared to me. The most abnormal one in all of this list. That word in the Greek, appeared, is not that he kind of appeared as a kind of little whispery ghost type figure. It actually means that he, he, he 
a picture of that he, he uh, is used in other Greek writing. That somebody's hid behind a tree, concealed, and an actual person jumps behind the tree and goes, I love that. Don't you love surprising people? I watched my daughters do this the other night. We've got this Superman mask that, that Josiah wears. He's eight. Just so you know, it's not mine. And, and you put this on and it looks, although it's Superman, it looks so freaky and horrible. So one of my older daughters hid in a cupboard with it over and Isabella came in and she opened the cupboard and, and this figure appeared and she literally, oh, and she flew over. She had to get her out the roof. Um, she went so high. You see, Paul is describing it in a way that somebody's just jumped out of a cupboard. He never expected it, but it utterly changed his life. Such a surprise. And finally, if you're going to make a fictitious story, and you're going to convince a world in a fake risen Christ, and you're going to do this in this way, Finally, when you write the narrative, the last thing you do is put a bunch of women going to the tomb to discover that the tomb is empty. Now, that's not a sexist statement, by the way. In the ancient world, women had no status very often. They couldn't even testify in court. If you're going to build a strong argument to say that we've got this body, we've robbed it, we've hidden it, he's doing this, and we're going to fake this whole event, you don't write a story with women going to the tomb. It's like, what are you doing? You've got to have like a strong Jewish man going. Not a bunch of crying women. Please. Rewrite it. The script's not going to work. This won't work in West Wing. Come on, get it sorted. The second thing is, really, Joseph of Amathea. You don't have Joseph. Who was Joseph? He was, he gave the tomb for Christ to be put in. But he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Can I remind you who the Sanhedrin are? They're the ones that put Jesus to death. Can I remind you who they are? They're the ones that put Peter in prison. Can I remind you who they are? They're the ones that organized the death of Stephen. So why would you put a member of the Sanhedrin giving, giving a tomb for this body to go to? Makes no sense. Unless, of course, what they're actually doing is writing and telling the truth about what actually happened. My only conclusion, my friends, is this. That you serve a Christ that has risen. You serve a Lord that you can trust. And if you are a skeptic, if you are struggling to reconnect 
And if you have had one of those Tim Horton conversations that you have lightly dismissed all things Christianity, I want to encourage you to re-look, rethink, because I may have given you six points this morning on this morning, which Christians should, in, should in excite us and should bless us that our Messiah is unique, he is amazing, Christ has risen, that the whole theological world has been turned upside down. And that we serve a Christ that has risen and we live in an age and one day we too will rise again. That we are part of a bunch of people that are utterly reckless with our lives because we know that we are going to live for eternity. We love the biography of the simplicity of who Jesus is. It's simplicity, it's beauty, it's rhythm, it's story of how it explodes from the, from the Gospels about how he lived, how he preached, how he healed, how he died, and how he rose again. We're not taken in by the nonsense of all of this Gnostic and Gothic ideas of around us. Even today, it flies around in false thinking and, and bad theology. We're not taken in by that. We know that the story stands. The women went to the tomb. The disciples ran there to find out. We know without a doubt that that people were stunned, the world was shaken, and the only explanation I have that within 40 days of this event, 3,000 people were added to the church in Jerusalem. Within weeks after that, 5,000 thousand was added to the church in Jerusalem. In months and years to follow, it would spread. Within 350 years, it would conquer the Roman Empire. It would be preached throughout the world. Within days, where Thomas received God's call, he found himself through through Arabia and Asia and India planting the first churches. These Christians went everywhere. What propelled them? A false story, a fraud, no way. What propelled them is this, the truth on that morning, Christ rose from the dead, victorious. You do not have to check out your brain to be a Christian. But it helps also existentially coming right back that you find it for yourself. It helps that if you're not there, oh boy, you haven't been in church for years. It helps again to be reminded that there is rigor to our message. Helps to be reminded. Hmm. I tell you what uh, theologians do say who are atheistic theologians. I'll be honest with you. I must put some other the other side. They say when he was crucified, the whole world saw. When he was risen, maybe 550 people saw. Why was it so public? When he was crucified, and yet, in terms of 500 people, is a lot of people, by the way. But why was it seemed to be so personal and profound? I will tell you why. 
Because the church of Christ globally is not built on if I see it, I will believe it theology. Because 40 days after an event would happen, Jesus would leave. He'd done his job. And the Holy Spirit would descend on Pentecost. And you see, the reality of the Christian faith is that you don't have to just believe with your mind, but you can feel the touch of heaven through the work of the Spirit. And the reason 2,000 years on, Christians are still as passionate as they've ever been is because within us, there's a deposit of heaven and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It's the Holy Spirit that is the deposit within our lives. It's the closeness. It is the intimacy. It is the beauty of knowing His presence. What about you? Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. And thanks for laughing at some of my little jokes. It helps. But you're a guest or a friend. Or you've become a distant cousin of our church. We'll take what we can get, by the way. We just love you. But I want to say, if you want to reconnect with Christ this morning, you want to go away and read the story again, and you don't have the tools, at our information desk, you can go and take one of these. There is a journal where you can start to reconnect. And if it's hard to pray, you can write your prayers. There's a Bible. You can read the book of Mark today. In 45 minutes, 40 minutes. There's a daily bread to help you. And there's a DVD by me. Four short sessions about how to read the Bible, how to listen to God's voice, and how to come close to Jesus. You see, I'm not inviting you just to believe now historical facts and get in the debate. I'm inviting you to meet Christ. Oh, and there's one other thing. There's a little lifesaver there you can suck. (laughs) Don't say we're cheap. (laughs) This is everything you need to begin a fresh journey if you're coming back or re-beginning. It's there. All we ask is there's a connection card that you fill in your name and a way we can just email you or phone you, whatever you like. And this week... Myself, Pastor Steve, Pastor Tanya, one of us in our core leadership pastor team here will call you and say, how's it going? Or email you, if you so prefer, for your privacy. But make the decision to begin a new journey with Christ. Maybe you're sat there and you think, yes, I want to become a Christian today and now. It's good news. I'd like to help you in that. Let's bow to pray. When I experience the reality of Christ's power come into my life, I was 15. And when I was 15, I stood with an older gentleman in the front of a small church. And he prayed this prayer with me. 
If you've been touched this morning and you want to give your life to Christ, then pray this with me. Softly, gently in your mind or under your breath. Not going to embarrass anybody. Not going to invite anybody to come forward or anything this morning. goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. I'm so sorry for my sins. So sorry for my sins. And as you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give myself to you. Maybe for a moment you just need to say sorry for some things that are really burdening you. And just confess to him your struggles and your weaknesses. But Lord, this morning, I choose to be a Christ follower. Lord, this morning, I choose to hand my whole life over to you. And I invite you to be my Lord. Change me. Join me and make you Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus. Amen.